Well, again, we're glad that you're here. Uh, my name's Tony, like I said, uh, one of the pastors on staff. And if you're joining us here for the first time, um, then you've got us at the tail end of this series that we're going through right now that we're calling No Regrets, uh, Embracing God's Design for Marriage, Singleness, and Sex. And, and one of the things that we've been saying from the very beginning of this series is that um, this isn't just a series for people who can look back on their relationship history and say, ah, you know what, uh, things have worked out pretty well. I don't really have any major regret regrets. And it's certainly not a series for people that are just beginning in their relationship or romance life and they, haven't just, they just haven't had enough time in the game to have built up any regrets yet. But that this is a series that, um, that no matter what our age or our relationship status or how many choices that we've made and we've looked back on and we say, oh, I wish I could have done that over again. Um, no matter what, that we believe that in God's eyes, um, as we've said uh, many times in this series, that today is the most important day, right? Because we can't change the past and we don't know the future. And so we believe that as we learn to embrace God's design for our lives, for our relationships, um, and for our sexuality, that God has this way of reaching back even into our past, into the areas of hurt, into the choices that we made that we wish we could take over, and somehow bringing healing, bringing restoration, and even bringing good out of those things. And so we can say, even though there are things in my life that I wish I could do over, ah, I have no regrets because God has been doing a greater work in all of this. Um, and as I said, we're, we're coming to the tail end of this series. Uh, there's only today and next Sunday before we're done. And over the last several weeks, we've been talking about marriage and singleness and sex inside marriage and sex outside of marriage. And today we're going to talk about this piece or a piece to this whole puzzle that I think in one way... Um, we could easily go through this whole series and, and not talk about it and not even realize or not feel like we're missing anything. But in another sense, I think that what I want to discuss today is actually something that lies at the heart or, or lies underneath all of the struggle that we have in our relationship life. Um, whether we're single or married, whether we are single, married, or married again. Because I think um, one of the reasons that this whole topic of relationships and sexuality, one of the reasons that it resonates so strongly with us, that it hits a chord for so many of us, one of the reasons that we're so interested to come and hear and learn and be spoke, like have our lives spoken into this area is because um, it hits in us this deep impulse like this longing in us that's in every one of us. And in some ways we would say, well, it's obvious that that's a longing in us, but it's easy to go through life and realize that it's not even there, but it's this, this thing that drives us in so many of our relationships. And here's what it is. It's this longing to not be alone. It's this longing to not be alone. We all, like we have this deep need, this impulse that drives so much of who we are and what we do to be connected in meaningful relationship with at least someone else. Um, and I think it's obvious that this is, this is kind of the impulse of the drive that drives many single people into the pursuit of marriage in one way or another. But even for people who are married, this is a drive or a longing or an impulse that doesn't... Um, 
that doesn't ever go away, even for those of us that are experiencing great marriages, because there's always this need. It's like this unquenchable thirst, this hunger for more, no matter how close we are to one person. No one person can fully kind of meet this need that we have to not be alone, to be connected with someone. And if we're in a marriage that's not a good marriage or that's a struggling marriage, this longing or this desire can feel even worse. It can feel like this kind of hopeless pursuit that we're in for something that seems to be getting further and further and further away. No matter what our age, no matter what our relationship, relationship status, no matter what our temperament, whether we're introverted we, or, or extroverted, whether we love to be with people or we like to be on our own, actually none of us wants to be truly alone. We all want to be connected in relationship. And I believe that it's, it's a desire that's been put in every single one of us since the beginning of time. And so I want to read to you the account that we have in Genesis 2 that talks about this longing, this impulse that we all have to not be alone. Um, we've read this passage before in this series, but I'm going to read it again for you. You can follow along with me on the screen. Um, and we're going to focus on a different aspect of it than what we have in the past. So here it is, Genesis chapter 2, 15 to 25. It says, the Lord God, it's the account of God creating Adam and Eve. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man that you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. And then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. So I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man, and the man said, Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh." And so here's what's going on in this story. This is the second chapter in Genesis. But in Genesis chapter 1, it takes us through the account of how God created everything in the universe. And it goes through this kind of poetic rhythm in Genesis chapter 1, where God creates on each day. And it says, and God made, for each day it says, and God made this, and this, and this. And when God had made it, he took a look at what he had made, and he saw it, that it was good and then there was evening and there was morning and this was the first day. And each day it goes through this pattern. It says God made this and this and this and he took a look at what he had made and he saw that it was good and that was the next day and the next day. And so for each day God is creating and he says what I'm making is good. What I'm making is good. What I'm making is good. And then it goes into Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 2 kind of zeroes in for us on the sixth day of creation, on the day when God made Adam. And this is the first time that this pattern is broken where God takes a look at Adam and he says, wait a minute, something that I've made is not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And this is really interesting that God says it here because this is actually before the fall takes place. It's before sin has entered into the world. And so this 
not goodness of man being alone. It's not actually the result of sin. Um, but it's, it's part of God's design that we have all been made with this implanted longing, this deep desire and impulse to not be alone. It's not a result of our brokenness, but it's actually a result of God's design for all of our lives. And he says that human beings outside of relationship with one another is not good for us. And we all feel that in different ways. And it wasn't as though Adam was totally alone. I think that's another really interesting piece about this whole thing. Like, um, he was with all the animals, right? He had some kind of connection to all the animals. God brought all of them here and all of them to him and he named each one. But he was also with God. Like, he had this real connection with God. Somehow he was having this conversation with God, right? Like, God was saying, well, we got to make a helper suitable, so let's bring the animals to you. And you name them, Adam. And Adam says, okay, so we're partnering together. We're doing stuff together, you and me, God. But God says, actually, that's not good enough. Even you and me is not good enough for what I've designed you to be. You're not just designed for relationship with me, but you're designed for relationship with others. And so God gives a solution to this whole problem that we see in Genesis 2, and it's marriage. And so he takes Adam, he puts him to sleep, he takes a rib out of his side, and out of that rib he forms Eve, and then brings them together. They look at each other, they look at God, and they all say, yeah, now this is good. And the cool thing is, Um, one of the things that set Adam apart, one of the things that made Adam special and unique and higher than all the rest of the creation was the fact that he was designed in the image of God, that he was one who was made to point to God's goodness, to his greatness, to his power, to his love. When people looked at him, they were meant to see past him, beyond him, to the character and to the person of God himself. And yet God looks at him when he's on alone and he says, hold on, wait a minute. Actually, on your own, you can't fully bear my image. I actually need to make you another person who you can come in partnership with, with them and together in partnership with me. And it's in that that you most fully bear my image. It's in that kind of connectedness, relationship and partnership that you fully point people to who I am and to what I'm about because you can't fully bear my image on your own. And then God tells him not just that, but he says, go and have children, go and make babies, right? There's sexual language in Genesis 1 and 2, at least for the Bible. Um, It says, God commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. Um, And then it says in Genesis 2 that um, the two of them became one flesh together. And so they were meant not just to have companionship with one another, but they were actually meant to create community with their children. And, and with their children, uh, raise them and help them learn and grow and together learn to care for one another and contribute to the family and to the well-being of all of their community together. And so this is the story that the Bible begins with, pointing us to this deep desire that we all have had from the beginning, this desire to not be alone, and God giving us the solution for it, which is marriage, an earthly family, biological family. Um, And we've talked about this several times uh, in this series, but this isn't where I actually want to land today. This is actually just really by way of introduction because what I I actually want to do this morning is to help us see that the Bible doesn't only begin with a wedding, but the Bible actually ends with a wedding too. On both bookmarks, we're given this picture of a wedding. 
And even though the very first wedding in the Bible was a good thing, it points us to a greater thing, which is the second wedding in the Bible, the, the wedding that the Bible ends with. And so I'm going to read it for you. It's in one of the very last chapters of the Bible, Revelation chapter 19. It's on the screen, um, verses 6 to 9. Here's what it says. It's this... Um, man named John was giving this account of this vision that he had where he was kind of caught up in this sort of heavenly vision and all sorts of things that he was seeing. He was doing his best to describe it and write it down. And so here's what he's describing. He says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. And then the angel said, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. The Bible is this story that not only begins with a wedding which is called good, but it ends with this greater wedding. And the first wedding which is good is meant to point us to this greater wedding that the Bible ends with. Um, and we're given this picture in the end of the story because what it's telling us is that God's actually providing not just a good solution, but a great solution to this problem, this impulse, this deep longing that we all have to not be alone. This need for connectedness and relationship. And the great solution, the ultimate solution, is that Christ himself, the lamb, is going to marry us. Um, and because he's fully human and fully God, he is going to completely understand us and connect with us and relate to us in his humanness. And because he's fully God, he is going to be able com to completely connect us and enable us to experience all the love and the goodness and the power and the care of God himself. And it's going to be this complete union that involves both horizontal and vertical relationship all wrapped up in our union with the one person of Christ. And because he's marrying us, it's not just a friendship, but that it's a marriage that we're actually invited into at the end of the story. He's actually telling us that I'm always going to be with you. I am never going to leave you. This problem of being alone, you will never have again. This longing that you have is going to be filled in your hearts forever. And so here we are at this point in the story between the first wedding and the second wedding. And that second wedding that Revelation points us to, it's one that, that hasn't quite yet fully happened. Um, but at the same time, um, it has begun. It has begun. And we're meant to be experiencing this second wedding even now, whether we are single or whether we are married or whether we are, are single again. Because Jesus has come. We know that there's going to be a day where he comes more fully and we're going to experience this full experience and this full connection with him in a way that none of us ever have. But we know that the wedding has already begun. The marriage has already begun. Why? Because Christ has already come. And he's done, done things that only a bridegroom does with his bride. Like he has given himself completely for us. Right? In the cross, he died for us. He laid himself bare and he gave himself completely for us just as a bridegroom does for his bride. And more than that, in a very real way, he's actually consummated this wedding 
because he's come into us um, with his Holy Spirit and his Holy Spirit lives on us and it's beginning to birth new life in us. And so though we not, we're not yet experiencing this second wedding that the first wedding points to fully, we are meant to experience it in very real ways in the here and now. And it's meant to take more and more root in our lives and to shape all of the relationships that we have. And one of the reasons we know this even more is because the New Testament, throughout its letters, um, uses marriage language to describe who we are. And it's not talking about earthly marriage, it's talking about the second marriage that the Bible points to at the end. And it uses two terms in a number of different places to describe who we are, and I want to unpack them for us a little bit more this morning. It calls us the bride of Christ, and it calls us the body of Christ. Um, and so first, what does it mean that we're the bride of Christ? Um, Jesus himself was actually pretty fond of using that term. He would re refer to himself in stories that he told and parables that he told. He would talk about himself as this bridegroom. And other New Testament letters use this kind of picture that he is the bridegroom and we are his bride in lots of different ways to describe the relationship that we have with him. And it's not a future thing, it's a present thing. It says this is who we are. And what it is, it's this picture of this passionate pursuit of a bridegroom who in many ways has been waiting for us. And now he's saying to us, I do. Um, he's saying, I love you more than any other. He's saying, I will always love you. And what it is, 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 is it's when we are called the bride of Christ, we're given this picture of the covenant love of Jesus. And <clears throat> VJ talked about this whole idea of covenant a few weeks ago, right? When he was talking about marriage. And he said that when we get married, we're entering into not a contract, but a covenant. And let's see if you can remember. He said the two words of a contract is what? If you. Yeah. But the two words of a covenant are what? I do. Yeah. And so he's entering into this covenant relationship with us. He's saying, I do to us. He's saying, no matter what you do, I do. Like when you don't live up to your side of the agreement, um, when you fall short, when you offend me or wrong me, I'm still gonna be there for you. I'm still gonna love you. I'm still gonna give myself completely to you. Why? Because you are my bride and I am your bridegroom. And I think one of the things in this whole image that we're given that describes our identity, like who we are as a people of followers of Christ, one of the things that is so key in this is that we need to understand that, to get, that we are Christ's bride together. And so this isn't, when Jesus makes a covenant with us, he's not making it with um, between himself and a whole bunch of different disconnected separate individuals, each one of us a separate bride. It's not like he's marrying thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people, right? It's not, it's he's marrying one bride and together, together we are his bride. And that means together then, we're actually meant to share in this covenant connectedness, this covenant relationship with each other. And we're actually meant um, to experience and to express Jesus' covenant love, his I do love to one another. One of the ways that he shows his covenant love to us is through the way that we're meant to be together, through the way that we're meant to interact, care for, love each other. He does it through us. And I think there's two really simple ways that we can um, think about this in our own lives and take steps to apply it in our own lives as well. Um, 
because two things that a covenant says are, um, I will give myself to you fully and I'm never going to give up on you. And these are two things that Jesus has said to us. These are things that describe the covenant that he has made for us or with us, that he is giving himself, that he has given himself fully for us and he is never going to give up on us. And so I think we can ask these two questions too as we look around the room and we look at other followers of Christ, other people who are the bride of Christ and we can say, you know, if it's, if it's Jesus' intent to actually show his covenant love to others here through me, then <clears throat> who am I giving myself to? Um, am I narrowing or restricting the circle of people that I show love for? to my biological family, to my marriage, to my earthly marriage? Or am I learning to actually move beyond that and step into this greater marriage that we're all a part of? Am I learning to actually give myself and look for ways to serve and to give uh, and to build into people? Not just to do stuff, but to build into people. And I know lots of you in this room are doing that in really significant and meaningful ways, but I think it's a question that we're always meant to come back to and ask and say, if Jesus is the one who's given himself fully to me, how can I express that in covenant love with the people that he's put me in with? How can I pass on this marriage love that Jesus has for me to other people in tangible and practical ways? And in that sense, be this expression of Jesus' love to others. Um, and so if you were asked right now, like look around the room, like who in this community might you, are you giving yourself to? Um, because Jesus wants to give himself to others through you. And I think one of the really interesting things is this, is we've, we've talked about this a number of different times in 1 Corinthians 7 where it talks about um, both marriage and singleness as a gift. I think one of the things that are one of the ways that we uh, typically understand that or receive it or read that passage when it talks about singleness as a gift and marriage is a, is a gift, we think of it as this is a gift for us, right? And some of us who are married or some of us who are, are single and don't want to be married, we say, well, I don't think I have the gift of singleness and so, you know, I'll hopefully one day I'll be married or that's why I am married or whatever. But I think that actually isn't the main way or the primary way we're meant to understand this whole idea of our singleness as a gift or our marriage as a gift. We're meant to see these things as gifts that have been given to us so we can give them to others. And so there are ways as single people that you can be a gift that married people just can't. Uh, because of restrictions on time, on relationships, on family, on children, on all sorts of different things. There are ways in your singleness that you can be a gift to this covenant community of Christ's bride in ways that married people can't. And married people, there are ways that you can be a gift to other people that single people can't. You have something unique and special and that you can even leverage to be a gift and to be a blessing in your marriage, serving out of your marriage, to be a gift in ways that single people can't. And so we actually need each other to most fully express this covenant love of Christ with one another as singles and as marrieds. And both of them, <clears throat> the scripture describes as a gift because it's not primarily meant to be a gift for us, but we're meant, it's meant to be a gift through us, given to other people to express his love. I think the other question that we can ask ourselves when it comes to this, because covenant says, not only will I give myself to you, but I'm never gonna give up on, I'm never gonna give up on you. <clears throat> and so, um, I think a question that we need to ask ourselves um, routinely or at least periodically is, you know, is there anyone in, 
who is part of Christ's bride that I'm tempted to give up on right now? Is there anyone I'm tempted to give up on right now? Um, because as I said, covenant says that I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to write you off. I'm never going to give up on you. And it doesn't mean, I think often when we talk about relationships um, in the church and we, we give like a picture of kind of what the community of the church is meant to look like, we can easily kind of over-romanticize it or, or oversimplify it and say that, yeah, all these relationships are meant to be relationships of love and happiness and goodness and connection and we're all meant to get along and serve each other and all feel great together. And we all know that that's not a reality. Um, but I think covenant assumes that. Covenant assumes the fact that relationships are not easy. That we are inevitably going to come in to conflict, into disconnectedness with other people, into competing agendas with other people. And that's why it says this is why we make the promise to one another. This is why we make the commitment to one another because relationships are not easy. This is why we exist in covenant community because we say even when these difficulties come, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to be this expression of Christ's bridegroom love to his bride when I relate and connect to other people. Um, I'm not going to write you off. I have a great story of this in my own life. At least it's been great for me. Um, uh, it's someone in this church, and I haven't asked them to share the story, so I'm going to try and not go into too much detail, uh, and I hope I don't offend. But um, I think I'd been here for only about a year um, at, at this church and someone came to me after the service and asked if I could pray for them and they shared some of the things that were going on in their life, some of the struggles that they were having. And I remember praying for them and <clears throat> prayed some of the things that they had shared directly and I remember, I think it was Matthew chapter 18 that came to mind as I was praying for them and it's this uh, picture, this story of... Um, of uh, uh, a person who was forgiven a large debt and then they didn't forgive uh, a smaller debt. And so um, um, it's the story of how we have been forgiven and so we need to forgive others. And so I was praying that over this person. And uh, I went away afterward and didn't really think anything of it. But this person came to me a few days later and they said, you know what, Tony, can I talk to you for a sec? Um, when you prayed for me, that wasn't helpful at all. <laughs> they were really open and direct about it. They said, actually, you know, the truth is... Um, you don't know me very well. You don't know the struggle that I've been going through with this. And when you prayed for me, it wasn't a helpful prayer at all. It wasn't one at all. And I was kind of taken aback by it. I'm like, whoa, I'm really sorry. I totally didn't mean to do that. I was trying to do my best in praying. And, and I was kind of reeling a little bit. Um, but I remember going away from that conversation and reflecting on it and thinking, you know what? This person was absolutely right. The way that I prayed was actually more of a prayer of judgment on this person's life than it was a prayer of life, a prayer of mercy. And, um, and I would have left it at that. But a few days later, this person came back to me again. And they said, you know what, Tony? I don't feel like we've totally worked this out with each other. I feel like we need to talk about it some more. And so we talked about it some more. And they were just telling me about, oh, <clears throat> You know, I struggle with this too. And, and what does it mean for us to pray like words of life over other people and not, and not words that kind of bring discouragement or death over other people? And so we talked about it more. And I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. I've been thinking about this more. And I'm really sorry. Like, I, and I actually had a chance to say, hey, you know what? Can I pray for you again? And we kind of did a do-over. <laughs> and I just felt like there was something in me anyways that totally switched. 
And the way that I look at this person now, like I have so much respect for this person because they were attentive, they were listening to God and they weren't willing to write me off. They weren't willing to say, oh, it's just Tony, he's young and foolish and ignorant and whatever and he doesn't know me and so I'm just not gonna go to him again. No, but they actually came in. They weren't willing to write me off. They came in and said, no, let's, let's do this covenant thing together because we are the bride of Christ. He thinks we're worth it and so we're meant to think each other are worth it. Not only are we called the bride of Christ, but we're also called the body of Christ. And when we look back at Genesis chapter two, we're given this language, uh, this body language, where it says Adam and Eve were given to one another and the two of them became one flesh. Somehow in um, um, connecting with one another, both physically, emotionally, relationally, the two of them became one flesh. And it was together, as we talked about, it was actually together that the two of them most fully represented the image of God to the whole world. Not in isolation from one another, but together in partnership with one another and with God. But now, the New Testament gives us this language and it says, you are the body of Christ. You have actually become one flesh with Christ. We are all part of his body together. We're not a whole bunch of separate, individual, disconnected bodies all attached to one head, but we are one body together with Christ as our head. And this is the greater thing that the first marriage points to. Because now it's a coming together of not just two people to become one, but it's a coming together of a whole community of people even larger than this community, a worldwide community of people who are actually called in together to become one with one another and with Christ. <clears throat> and this is the greater way that we display the image of God, no longer just through two people, a husband and a wife coming together, but now in this whole community of all sorts of different people of different sizes and stripes and talents and shapes and desires and gifts. And it's together that as we live out this one fleshness that we actually most fully display the character, the goodness, the patience, the kindness, the humility, the working together, the desire for the good of others, of Christ. And so in doing this, we actually act as his physical presence in the world, as his body in the world. A lot of people say that the church is Jesus with skin on, right? We're meant to be this physical presence uh, in the world. And so in that, we bear his image most fully. We can't bear the image of God very well as individuals. We do it better in marriages, but most fully we're meant to bear the image of God in community as Christ's body. And I think the other thing we need to uh, get or understand about this whole idea is that one fleshness, being part of Christ's body, is this hugely intimate term, right? It's sexual language in Genesis, the two of them becoming one flesh. And so what does this mean that we become one flesh in this second marriage, in this greater marriage? Obviously, it doesn't mean that we get naked with each other. It doesn't mean that we get literally naked with Christ. Uh, but it does mean that we are meant to learn to expose ourselves relationally and emotionally, both to Christ but also to one another. It does mean that we're meant to have relationships outside and beyond our marriage relationship where we're actually, in a sense, undressing, revealing ourselves, our lives, being open and vulnerable about who we are. 
Relationships where we don't feel like we have to pretend or cover up, pretend that we're something we're not, or work or act to be something more than we are, and ones where we know that when we do that, we're not going to be rejected or people aren't going to pull away from us. And I think there's a number of questions we can ask about this when we think of ourselves as being the body of Christ, when we think of ourselves together being part of this one flesh of Christ. Like, are there at least a few other people in this room? Are there at least a few other people in this church where you are learning, where I am learning to emotionally undress with? Where I'm learning to let down some of my defenses and just become vulnerable to people? And so a couple questions that we might ask in this. Um, Is there anyone in this church, is there anyone in this community, part of this body, where you would be willing or where you have um, talked about things that are causing you fear, anxiety, or stress? Is there anyone in this community where you've shared any of that? Is there anyone in this community where you've talked about um, things in your life that are causing you pain right now or things in your past that have caused you greatest pain? Is there anyone in your life in this community right now that you are willing to talk about things that you really think God is teaching you in your life right now? I think in order to do this, we, we have to go into an area of weakness, of vulnerability, of openness, of exposing ourselves. And many of you are in a home group, which I think is fantastic. Um, but I know that there are some of you who have been journeying and walking along um, in your home group with people for two or three years now. Um, And you haven't yet been able to do this. You haven't yet been able to drop your guard enough to be able to expose yourself. Or maybe you're just beginning to learn to do this. And why is that? I'm not saying this to kind of come down hard on anyone, but I am saying this to say, oh, we need to think of ourselves on both sides of this coin, uh, on both sharers but also listeners. What does it mean for us to be one flesh with other people, to expose ourselves and to be willing to put ourselves in this place of vulnerability? And then when someone else does that for us, what does it mean for us to respond in a way that is not going to cause shame or embarrassment or push that person away? And I would say, like, if this is you, if you're someone that doesn't know how to do this or hasn't, do this, or hasn't done this, like, what is it that's keeping you from allowing yourself to be exposed? And what would it look like for you to have a conversation with someone in your home group, with someone else that you're relatively connected with in this church to say, you know what, I don't know how to do this. I really struggle with, do- with doing this. And I don't know what I need to do or I don't know what about our group needs to change to do this, but let's figure out and work through this together so that we can actually get to this place where we can learn to expose ourselves in a little bit more of a real way. We need to figure this out together. It's not easy, but here's what I know. Vulnerability almost always leads to intimacy. It almost always draws people closer rather than pushing people away. Not always. There's always risk in it. No question. But I know at least from my own experience that, um, for example, in our home group, this whole uh, thing that we do with sharing our stories, almost every person in our home group who shared their story has actually um, taken a risk in sharing something significant about their life, um, shared something that they don't share with most people. 
uh, and they haven't shared with many people, but they took a risk and were willing to share that. They were willing to uh, expose themselves in a very personal way. And every time it happened, it has brought our home group closer and closer and closer and closer. And this is a group of people that we all love to be with now because people have been willing to take that risk and to expose themselves in different ways. We're part of the body of Christ. We're part of this one fleshness, which is the greater thing that the first one fleshness points to. Because marriage is a good thing, but it was always given to us to point to this greater thing, to point to our ultimate union, our ultimate marriage with Christ because he is the ultimate one. We become his bride. We become one flesh with him in his body. And all of us, whether we're married or single, we're all invited into this whole second marriage. And as we are, we, we experience the way that it has always been intended from God for the, from the beginning, this whole idea of we are no longer alone. It's not good for man to be alone. And in Christ, we're given this promise and this experience that in him, we don't have to be alone anymore. And he solves that problem for us, not only through this whole new relationship this way, but this completely new identity that we have this way, this completely new connectedness that we have this way, no longer with just one person, but now with a whole community of people. And so what are a couple ways that we can respond to this? I just have a couple simple next steps that maybe you can take home and apply in some meaningful way over the next week. Here's... Uh, uh, two suggestions for you. One is um, do a face-to-face -face with someone. Um, if we're the body of Christ, it means that we're one flesh, right? We've, I've just kind of unpacked that, talked about that. And so what I would say is sit down face-to-face -face, across the table at a coffee shop, invite them over to your home, wherever. Do a face-to-face -face where you actually have a conversation where you're willing to expose something about yourself. Not just for the sake of doing it, obviously, but to say that, no, in doing this, we actually believe that this has to be a community where we practice this um, because it's not easy. It doesn't come natural for most of us. Um, and so how can I actually um, um, take a risk and step into a relationship in a way where I'm practicing this openness and vulnerability with someone else? And ideally, we're meant to be a community that this should be the safest community for us to practice this in. Because if we are the body of Christ, if we are the bride of Christ, we don't respond to other people's vulnerability with judgment, with condemnation, with pushing people away. What we do is we respond with patience, with love, with grace, with acceptance, because that's how Jesus responds to us. And so practice it. Do a face-to-face -face with someone. Another option could be try a shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder with someone um, because we are the bride of Christ. Right? And so we're meant to give ourselves as this gift to other people in all sorts of different ways. And so what I would say is don't do it alone. Do it shoulder to shoulder with someone else. Grab a friend and find a way to give yourselves to someone in a meaningful, practical way. I think it can look like lots of different things. Maybe you're not serving in any um, um, significant way in this church and there's lots of opportunities to serve in ministry to help um, with kids or with youth or with things behind the scenes or with things that are going on midweek. There's all sorts of things to be able to do. And so maybe this is something that you can say, you know what, um, I want to give myself more fully to this community. I'm not going to do it alone. I'm going to bring a friend and we're going to do this shoulder to shoulder together. <clears throat> um, maybe it means right after the service. Maybe there's someone that you see here this morning that you don't know very well or that 
Maybe they're here for the first time. And so take a friend, go shoulder to shoulder and introduce yourself to someone new. Welcome them in. Display and give yourselves as this gift of Christ's love to someone else. Or maybe do it with a friend and invite someone else for dinner. Like invite a few people over to dinner and maybe share the preparing of the meal together if you're not a great host. Or, or maybe you are a good host, you're just not a good cook. And so invite someone else to cook the food for you and you come and you can host the meal and you can have some people over and be this expression of giving yourselves to someone else in some practical way. These are just a couple ways to respond, but they're all ways to live out the fact that marriage is a good thing, but it points us to a greater thing. And whether we're single or whether we're married, in one sense, we can all say that we're on our second marriage. We can all say that we're on our second marriage because we're, if we're followers of Christ, we're living out this second marriage that's in the Bible, this greater, this ultimate marriage that's meant to ultimately fulfill this need that we all have to not be alone. As we wrestle through this whole topic of marriage and singleness and sex and how do we figure out who we are and our identity and how to navigate through these things, this is meant to be the, the foundational piece that undergirds all the rest that Christ is for us our bridegroom and we are his bride. That Christ is for us the head of, of his body and we are his body. And we're meant to display that, to experience that, to express that with one another. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, Um, all of us, I think, in one way or another can relate to this fact that we have this longing that um, has never been completely filled. And maybe there have been times or windows or glimpses that we felt like, okay, this is, um, this is going really well in our lives. There seems to be this nagging um, quest for companionship, this desire for connectedness, this fear of being alone that we all have that never seems to be fully quenched. And we long, Lord Jesus, to be a community that's actually living this out, that's experiencing this together, this ultimate union with you. And it's been part of your design from the very beginning that this would not just be a union that is one of several individual disconnected people with you, but that somehow when we enter into union with you, we enter into union with each other. And so we experience, we live out this marriage together. And God, we need your grace, whether we're single or whether we're married, in all sorts of different ways to be able to walk hand in hand with the people that you've given us to because you've given yourself to us fully. And we thank you for that. We look forward to how you're gonna make your presence known more and more in us as we learn to walk together as your bride and as your body. We pray in your name, Jesus, amen. Um, for the benediction this morning, it's a blessing that we give you so you can go um, you know, with something tangible that God gives you. And I think one of the things that struck me is just um, how the nature of love seems to come with momentum and how when we're in a place where we might feel like we're longing for love, where we're not experiencing the kind of love that we feel like we're meant to experience, it can actually um, lead to a kind of momentum that 
pulls us away from people, that pulls us away from sharing love and expressing love because we're longing for it to be fed into us. And yet when love is being fed into us, it's something that actually builds momentum the other way. It flows out of us so that we become an expression of love to other people. And so my blessing for you this morning is that the love of Christ would fill you and would fill you in such a way that it would um, overflow from your life into the lives of others so that this kind of momentum of being a community of the love of Christ would actually be spilling out into all our lives together and we would be experiencing this reality of the greater marriage that the first marriage points us to. Will you receive that today? Amen.